The following is audio from the Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about the Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. So it was uh, over 15 years ago that I was on my way back from visiting one of our youth at the juvenile prison in Centralia, Green Hills. I had a great visit with him, and I was driving just north of Olympia on 101 Highway. Um, As I was driving, a car swerved into my lane and pushed me out of my lane, and in order to avoid the car, I, I ended up losing control spinning out of control, flipping over, and uh, landing upside down in our VW van again. After which I called my wife as I was hanging there in the seatbelt to tell her hi. Um, (laughs) I was a nice husband, though I did say, I'm fine, and then I told her what I was doing. The, um, it's incredible. The only thought that was going through my mind as I was, and it just lasted a few seconds, but as I was spinning and flipping, uh, was I was just waiting for the impact and to die. My, my only thought was that I was going to die. Um, in case you are half asleep this morning, I am not dead. Um, I am here. You know, there was a length of time, though. I mean, it actually lasted weeks, um, where I lived and relived and relived that scenario in my mind. It emotionally traumatized me for a long time, just um, revisiting that situation, making me conscious for a long time of my mortality and just asking myself the question, if I had died that day, had I lived well? Um, If I had died that day, had I lived well? Um, As it is, and and as is wonderful for sermon illustrations, uh, two nights ago, I was driving from Seattle uh, with five other people in the car. Um, I won't name them to protect their identity. And uh, um, we were returning from um, the Paramount Theater where we'd watch Phantom of the Opera. It was a wonderful evening. And we were driving back from Seattle. It was around 11.30 at night. And out of the corner of my eye, I caught a car pulling right into our lane, right, just almost right alongside of us. And I realized that he was not stopping. And so I, uh, as I've reflected on it, it is totally God's mercy. I was expecting to get hit as he didn't notice us, pulled completely into our lane as I pulled out of the lane and, and sped up to avoid him. But immediately for the rest of the trip back from Seattle, probably 
unbeknownst to anybody else in the car, I was just experiencing flashbacks of that time over 15 years ago when the same thing, almost exactly the same thing had happened and I had been lost control and, um, and flipped over. Um, and for the rest of the trip, I was again just thinking, wow, if I died, uh, had I lived well, um, would my life have ended well? Um, most of us have probably heard the, the little kid's parable of the tortoise and the hare. Um, for those of you that are more into American English, we could call it the turtle and the rabbit. Um, and the, the, the simple you know, moral to the story is, you know, don't be like the rabbit who started, you know, with all kinds of arrogance and energy and eagerness and knew he was going to trounce the turtle in this race to see who got to the finish line first. But because of his arrogance and uh, the turtle just plodding along ended well. Um, the rabbit lost the race. Um, I wonder how many of us are more like rabbits than we are turtles? How many of us are living well so that we end well? Um, there's a common phrase that probably most of us have heard, live today like it is the last day of your life. And I think if I honestly asked how many of us are doing that, probably hardly any of us would raise our hands. <laughs> Consciously living today like today could be the last day of our lives. It's so easy for us to get off to a good start, uh, but, but then obstacles arise and challenges and maybe just the weariness of life, the temptations of life, uh, just life itself. We find ourselves maybe just living, existing, surviving, coasting, or kind of... Uh, just living off of what we've already accomplished instead of really ending well. Um, kind of as I thought about this, uh, one thing that convicted me was it was about eight and a half or seven and a half months ago that we began on January 1st as a church to read through the scriptures, right? Um, I know, you're trying to deny it, but, uh, <laughs> and, and so we committed that we we're going to read through the scriptures together. Um, you know, a confession on my part, uh, I've, I've read the scriptures through many, many times. Um, but it's interesting, as I had established for years and years and years of my life, kind of a, just a habit of getting up in the morning and reading, spending just lots of time with the Lord, just cultivating a relationship with the Lord. It's interesting how, I don't know if it, if it was pride on my part that I thought that would never end. You ever been there with something in your life? Like, I am a rock star at reading my Bible. <laughs> but this year, incredible. The, as we began, I began, and I, and I 
didn't. And then I began again, and, and I didn't again, and I began again, and didn't again. And uh, how easy it is for us to start something, and then f for some reason something creeps in, and we don't end well. So, in, in Galatians uh, 5, 7, Paul says, speaking to the, the believers at Galatians who were struggling with their faith, uh, being convinced that things had to be added. It wasn't just simply Jesus. Things had to be added. Um, Paul says to them, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? And, and as we're looking at Second Chronicles uh, this morning as we're kind of our last Sunday in the Old Testament and then we're going to be, I'd encourage you if you haven't been reading to just begin with Matthew and just start reading and read through the New Testament with us together to be saying what's keeping you from ending well? Or maybe better put, what's keeping you from living in a way to end well? well um, you know kind of like a couple of nights ago um, and honestly I think an angel got squished uh, protecting our car from the other car <laughs> I thought we were going to get hit and um, experience something of what I did 15 years ago um, that could happen to any of us right uh, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow I mean, you're looking at me and you're thinking, well, that 95-year-old guy, he's going to kick the bucket pretty soon. But <laughs> I'm a little depressed because my birthday was yesterday. So, you know, you don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't clap for somebody my age, okay? <laughs> but it's, it's made me much more aware of every, every year, you know? But... But it could be those of you that are in your teens or 20s that God takes home before me, right? We don't know what is ahead. The question is, are we living in a way now that we will end well? End well. What's keeping us from ending well, from you know, being a rabbit instead of a turtle? Um, and the simple idea as we look at Second Chronicles here is it's, it's, you know, life is complicated and I realize there's all kinds of reasons, but I like the simplicity of this where it's just that ending well means depending well. I'd just like you to think about that, that ending well means depending well. And we're going to see it in the lives of four kings. I just picked four out of the many kings in Second Chronicles, not because I wanted to pick out the worst, because almost all of them are worst. Um, but we're going to take a glimpse. We're going to look at the beginning of their lives, the end of their lives, and I hope it challenges and encourages us as we look at their lives to be individuals that want to end well and ask, how can we do that? As we, as we look at them, I want you to be looking for four phrases that are, uh, that are key. And these are the phrases. The first is, they did right in the eyes of the Lord. And 
actually it's said about all four of these kings. They did right in the eyes of the Lord, meaning they considered God in their actions. They considered God in their actions. That's how they all began. The second phrase is they sought the Lord, meaning they asked the Lord what he wanted and, and when he wanted and how he wanted. They, in everything, they sought the Lord. That's how they all began. They relied on the Lord, meaning they depended upon God and they didn't look elsewhere for dependence in their own strength or in others or in things. They relied upon the Lord. And then the last, they obeyed the Lord, meaning they then did what God said. So if you'd follow with me, kind of the before and after, uh, I guess in honor of Paul Harvey, whose movie came out, you know, we could say we're going to see the beginning and then the end of the story, okay? So the first king is Asa. He did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places. He smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and his commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. He's an incredible king. Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours. Because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah equipped with large shields with spears and 280,000 from Benjamin armed with small shields and with bows. And I'm not sure why Benjamin got the small shields and Judah got the big shields, but... All these were brave fighting men. So 580,000 brave fighting men. And then Zerah the Cushite marches out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands. And one translation says literally a million. So a massive army, 300 chariots, and came as far as Marasha. And Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah near Marasha. And what Asa does next is incredible. He called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. And, you know, from a human standpoint, he's hardly powerless. 580,000 brave fighting men. But he realizes his need of God and he says, Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you and in your name we come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against us. Isn't that great? That's the beginning of the story. Um, the end is in Second Chronicles 16. He's been a king for 36 years now, and Basha, the king of Israel, goes up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. So what does Asa do? Remember what he did with 
this Cushite army. This is a far smaller army. And he takes the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple. He goes into the temple and takes the silver and gold out of the temple and of his own palace, and he sends it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was an enemy of Israel, who was ruling in Damascus, and he said, let there be a treaty between me and you as there was between my father and your father. I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with the king of Israel so he will withdraw from me. And so Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. And they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abel, Mam, and all the store cities of Naphtali. Those are cities in Israel. And when Basha, the king of Israel, heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned this work. And then King Asa brought all the men of Judah and they carried away Ramah, the stones, and timber Basha had been using. And with them he built Geba and Mitzvah. And so a prophet, Hanani the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and says to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hands. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered you, delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing and from now on you will be at war. And man, it was an opportunity for Asa to, to just be repentant before God and sorrowful. And, and yet his response in verse 10, notice he was angry with the seer because of this. He was so angry that he put him in prison, and at the same time, he brutally oppressed some of the people. He, he didn't end well. The next one is Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26.3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years. His mother was Jechaliah from Jerusalem. And again, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. That's, that's so key. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. But Second Chronicles 26, 16 says... But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. I powerful, meaning he came to the point to where he thought, I got this, right? I got it all figured out. I got my army in place. I got my commanders. I got my wealth. I, got, I know how to be king. I don't need God anymore. And he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. And entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And Azariah, the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in and they confronted him and said, it's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord God. And so he, 
in his arrogance, he entered the temple thinking, I can do whatever I want. He had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense. And instead of, again, being repentant, acknowledging his wrong, he became angry. He was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple. And leprosy broke out on his forehead. And when Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. And he had leprosy until the day he died, living in a separate house, leprous, banned from the temple of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land, and he was a man that didn't end well. Jotham, his son, uh, is a man that did end well. And we're going to, the last phrase is so key, but this is, it says he was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years. His mother was Jerusha. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. See, so many of them start out as rabbits, right? (laughs) He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done, but unlike his father, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. The people continued their corrupt practices, but Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord, did extensive work on the wall at the hill of Ophel. He built towns in the hill country of Judah and forts and towers in the wooded areas. He waged war against the king of the Ammonites. He conquered them. They paid him tribute, 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat, 10,000 cores of barley for three years in a row. And verse 6 says, he grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. Isn't that good? He was a turtle. He grew powerful. He didn't, he didn't bail out he, because he walked steadfastly purposefully, intently, obediently, reliantly seeking God his whole life. One more, Hezekiah, Second Chronicles 32. This is the introduction. He was 25 years old. He became king. He reigned 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. And he was an incredible king. And in chapter 31, it says this is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord is God. And I, this takes in three chapters of an incredible man He purified the temple. He celebrated the Passover unlike it had ever been celebrated going way back to the time of Solomon. He raised contributions for the temple. And when the Assyrian army came against him, he cried out to the Lord and the Lord miraculously delivered him, killed 200,000 Assyrian soldiers when they were certain to wipe out Jerusalem and Judah. But he cried out to the Lord, this is what he did. Verse 21, in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, 
he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. Isn't that good? He sought his God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. But unfortunately, that's not the end of the story. Second Chronicles 32. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign and actually extended his life by 15 years. But instead of being grateful, Hezekiah's heart was proud. Somehow he thought that it's because he was so incredible and as opposed to God being incredibly kind. And his heart was proud and, and the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. But the good news in verse 26, Hezekiah repented of his pride. Unlike Asa and Uzziah, as did all the people of Jerusalem, and therefore the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. Um, ending well. There's, there's three phrases that I'd like us just to, to pick up from these verses that we've looked on that really, I think, give, bring us to the point that ending well means depending well. The first is, Second Chronicles 16.9, and it was what the prophet said to Asa. He said, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Does that describe our hearts this morning? That's, that's what the Lord is looking for. He's looking for individuals whose hearts are fully committed to him. Second Chronicles 27, 6. This is that beautiful phrase that described Jotham. He grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. And one more, Second Chronicles 31, 21. Speaking of Hezekiah, and the beginning of his life in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. Um, ending well means depending well. What, what happened to these guys? What happened to these guys? I think it, it can be captured in one word and, and we see it repeated here. Um, in Second Chronicles sixteen seven, um, they do an amazing job on the slides, don't they? I'm bouncing around. Second Chronicles sixteen seven, as Hanani the seer comes to Asa, he says, "Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hands." His, his reliance when. when Initially, his reliance was just completely on the Lord. As he sought the Lord and he relied on the Lord, he ended, he no longer relied, but relied on the king of Aram. Second um, Chronicles twenty six sixteen, speaking about Uzziah, after he became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. And then Second Chronicles 32, 25, we see the same thing that said about Hezekiah, his heart was proud 
and he did not respond to the kindness of the Lord. What happens to us? I think it's the same thing that, that happened to these kings. I think we come to the point to where we think we got it figured out, right? We got life figured out. I mean, we've been, we've been married for a while or we've been parenting for a while. We've been working the same job for a while and we got life figured out. And we're not as desperate, right, in our need of God. We become experts and not in such desperate need of heavenly wisdom or heavenly reliance, heavenly dependence. And so we become too busy to pray. And we justify it because we become very busy, right, very responsible. And responsible people are busy people. And, and so we pray less. We depend less, we rely less because we're needing to take care of our responsibilities. We begin to think that maybe we're pretty big stuff. <laughs> kind of like what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Um, we've forgotten that it is by the grace of God that we are who we are. If you want to memorize a verse, that's a good one to memorize. Paul said, it's by the grace of God I am who I am. But he says, I didn't, you know, he, I labored even more than all the rest of them. It didn't make me a lazy bum. <laughs> he said, I labored even more than all the rest of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. He realized that it was all by the grace of God and how desperately dependent he was on the grace of God. And so I think like these kings, we quit depending. We aren't as desperately reliant. I think somehow in our thinking, we, it, you know, when we raise children, we raise children to be absolutely dependent on us for the rest of their lives, right? <laughs> My kids are shaking their heads no. <laughs> uh, no. Not, I mean, unfortunately, some unhealthy situations, may, it ends up to be that. Uh, protecting the kids more than equipping them for life. But in a healthy home, we're raising our kids to be independent of us, but dependent upon God, right? And I think somehow we, we, we project in the same way that, that that's somehow what we need to become. We need, as we grow mature and as we grow up on our faith, that we're individuals that God wants to be independent. No, no, we are people that need to be desperately dependent upon God because it's when we're desperately dependent upon him that we will become everything that God intends for us to become incredibly free people living for God as only we can if we're desperately dependent upon him so maybe in order to end well we need to consider this morning individually how to begin again well um Begin again to depend, to spend time with the Lord. Uh, in the midst of our busyness, uh, 
a, a quote that I remember from years ago by Martin Luther was, you know, I usually spend this amount of time in prayer, but I'm really busy today, so I've got to spend this amount of time. I mean, it was two hours, and because he was busy, three hours. That's not our thinking, is it? I'm so busy, I'm, I have to cut out my, my time with the Lord today. Beginning again to spend time with God. Uh, for me, it was, it was kind of thinking way back to when we began this Read Scripture series, and one of the first messages that I preached was about Enoch. Just a beautiful little phrase about Enoch in, in Genesis chapter 5 that says, Enoch walked with God. And he was not because God took him. I mean, this this guy that he was just so relying and depending and spending time with God that they just walked together and eventually they just kept walking together to God's home. And he was not. Um, one of the songs we sang was great. It says, it, I can't remember, but Deeper Still. It's, it's a song about we, we want to keep going deeper still. And that's what ending well means. It's ending well, it's depending well, it's growing in, in the intimacy and, and deepness of our relationship with God, not that becoming less important to us. So what does that mean for us? It means today. So just some verses that I captured. It means today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Today, this is the Lord's day. Uh, it is the Lord Christ that we serve. And so as we're at our jobs or at school or we're laboring at home, it's, it's, it's Jesus that we're serving. And that gives us our purpose and our perspective for the day. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly in relationship with me as you live life in relationship to me. And I think my favorite verse as, I've, as we've spent time um, doing pre-marriage counseling for couples, it's in Ephesians 5.21 that says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Meaning, if to death do us part is going to be how we end well. It's going to be because as we're, as couples submitting to one another, as we are relying upon Jesus, as we're depending upon Jesus. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him, recognizing that we desperately need him. Kind of like the old hymn, I need thee every hour. You'll know you're old if you know that hymn. <laughs> um, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Is that our, is that us? I, I admit that's not always me. I get caught up in my responsibilities which can overwhelm me and just keep me so occupied and I forget, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. My dad was someone who ended well. Um, right up until the very end, 
my dad was faithfully preaching even though he had to sit on a stool uh, because of the toll that cancer had taken on him. Um, and then as he lay weak in bed from cancer treatment, asking me, and probably the last words that he spoke before he went into a coma, uh, please pray for me to have the strength to preach again. Man, that's my dad. He ended well. But why did he end well? It's because he depended. It, it was my memory of my dad is is of him being a man of the word and prayer, of seeing him, even after 22 years, sitting in his chair, reading, praying, relying, depending, still needy, still depending, right up until the end, and he ended well. And I want that to be me. And, uh, and you. Let's be people that end well because we're depending well on Jesus today.